Let me read you a, an email like that. I, I love getting stuff from you guys, particularly stuff like this. I'm, I grew up Catholic, and, and I got into the bad habit of equating God's love for me based on how hard I try to obey. Can anybody relate to that? Even if you didn't grow up Catholic, you know what I mean? Now, I'm not saying one should not be holy, but it's depending on the self, the self-striving that eventually crushed me. It got so bad for me that when I went to Mass every week, I felt like a nudist at a porcupine convention. <laughs> I know we're laughing, but for some of us, it's like, it ain't funny, man, because how I felt. Every Sunday, I was like, ah, 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 ah. It's just how judgment, I know some of you are going gonna to have the like image in your mind the whole time, but try to erase it. I was judgmental and alienated. She goes on and says, my trying, this is huge. This is so deep. I'm preaching on this basically today. She says, my trying and many times my praying continually blocked out God's love. My trying, trying to be good, and my praying actually blocked out God's love. The gospel is the only remedy for self-righteousness that's equally evil cousins, and it's equally cousins of religious self-loathing and religious masochism. I'm convinced more and more, as I am a pastor, that so much of what ails you and what ails me is what goes on between the ears. The way you think and believe about yourself very much affects your behavior. Is that true? Okay. For those of you that did not, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this way. How many dumb questions, dumb questions, how many dumb things do we do in our lives because of fear and insecurity? 90% 90% of what we do. Most of the dumb decisions we make in life, come on, be honest, is because of deep insecurity and fear. Think of the last bad decision you made and take the trail back and somewhere beneath that was fear and what? Deep insecurity. Fear and insecurity is very much wrapped in who you think you are. Between our years. That's why, and Nathan did a wonderful job last week. So much of what the Bible is not about do, do, do. It's about who you are, who you are, who you are. And the Bible says the key, the battle, the battle, the foundation of battle is between the years. Because unless you realize your identity, who you are in Christ and what he has done, the way you act and your behavior ultimately Many times, but driven by fear, insecurity, and we all know where that leads. I need two volunteers. All right, come on up. <laughs> I need one more volunteer. All right, come on up, please. What's your name? Lauren. Lauren? Nice to meet you, Lauren. So, don't worry, I won't bite. Right there. Good to see you. Okay. Romans 5, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Put it up there, please. Stay right there, okay? 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is what the Bible says happened the moment 
you became a Christian. Check this out. 21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Who wants to be Jesus and who wants to be... (laughs) All right. I didn't didn't have to finish that one. Okay. So you want to be Jesus. That means you're a sinner. Okay. So you come over here. You come over here and you stand over there. Okay. All right. You're Jesus. So this is Jesus. Look out there. Look out there. This is Jesus. And that's that's what Jesus is smiling. Jesus is confident. Jesus what? Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. Jesus is blameless. He is pure. He is righteous. He is perfect. He is holy. This is us. I don't know if I'd be laughing, but this is us, okay? This is us with the arms full. This is us. Bible says, alienated from God, slave to sin, condemned. Here's what happened. Moment of conversion. Jesus became sin. So I need you to come way over here. The Bible says, stand right here. Jesus didn't just become a sinner. I've been saying this for the last four or five weeks. He became sin. And God the Father, holy, perfect, righteous God, pours out his wrath and his judgment. I don't know if you want to be Jesus now, right? Pours out his wrath, his judgment on all evil, all sin, without holding back. Pours it out on Jesus. Jesus becomes sin for us. And he pays the penalty for our sins so that all liability for sin, for guilt, for our condemnation is taken away. That's good news, isn't it? He stands in our... Now, here's the amazing thing. Many of us, we stop here and go, okay, so he died for me, forgiven of my sins. That's great news. I get to go to heaven. Second part of that, though, says what? So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Here's what happened. Theologians call it the great exchange or the glorious exchange. And that is... When Jesus Christ takes our place on the cross and dies the death we deserve, what gets given to us is that, come over here. Jesus takes our place and we, place of who? So that when God sees us, when God sees us, he sees who? So when God sees Jesus, he sees us. And so when he sees us, they call it glorious exchange. God exchanges our corruption and our sin, and he gives to us, word is imputation. He gives to us. He counts towards us. He gives to our account all the things that Jesus is and all the things that Jesus has done so that we sinners not only are not under condemnation, but we are declared by God, counted by God, looked upon by God as being perfect, righteous, holy, blameless. This is what the Bible says, your position. This is your standing. Stand, you're, you're standing in Christ. Is that good news? Now, here's the thing. That's why when we go, you have to be holy for God to love you. It makes no sense. Why? Because you are already holy. You are already what? Righteous. 
already blameless. The Bible's method to change is not be holy, then God will love you. It's what? You are already holy, so grow into it. Could it be possible that the only way that you could change is when you realize that God loves you whether you change or not? Could it be possible that the only way to get better is if you realize that God loves you whether you get better or not? Children of the gift work harder because they realize they don't have to work at all. This is you today. Well, I don't feel righteous. Of course you don't feel righteous. We know that. We're not very good at being righteous. That's why God says, I declare on you because of what Christ has done, righteousness of God. Blameless, pure. Is this good news? Do you know this is how God sees you? This is how God sees you and sees me today. Thank you very, very much for your help. Let's give him a big hand. And we've been covering, look, God's radical grace doesn't mean that you get a grace card to live like moral morons. But it's coming to realize that the only way that we can love this God is when you and I are captured by this love that will never let us go. It's coming to this recognition that it's resting in our identity in Christ and who he has created us to be. That ultimately, Romans 2.15, it is his loving kindness that leads to what? Repentance. It's when you come to recognize All the songs that Carlton led us today, I love. Why? Constant reminder how marvelous, how amazing, how wonderful is his love for me. And when you realize that, open your Bibles to Romans 7. We're continuing in Romans 7 then. Paul addresses, by the way, I got like three more sermons left. We're going to finish Romans 7 and 8 through the month of June. Romans 7, Paul addresses the primary way that we try and work our way into a relationship with God to earn our salvation. And that's obedience to the law or the Ten Commandments as revealed by God to Moses. And Paul has essentially been saying through Romans 1 to 5, 1 to 5, that trying to earn salvation, trying to earn it, trying to work it, trying to earn it, work it by adherence to the law, by moral by morality, by good behavior, is not only a lost cause, a lost battle, but it's toxic to our soul. Toxic to our soul. So then here's the question that we address today. By the way, we're going to do some theology today, okay? We're going to do some doctrinal work today. Here's the question we're wrestling today. Then why did God give us so many laws? And what I just talked about is true, and that it's gift of righteousness. It is a gift God gives it to us, so on and so forth, why are there so many laws? You ever wonder? By the way, you all go into that. When God had everything exactly the way he wanted, Genesis 1 and 2, how many rules were there? So anybody that thinks God rules and laws, oh, no, no, no. When God had it the way he wanted, there was one law. You can do anything but this one thing. So why did God give us laws? 
Romans chapter 7, verse 5. Let's jump in. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. Quick review. We said that the law has a greenhouse effect on what's wrong with us. You remember that? The law actually aggravates, stirs up what's wrong with our hearts. The law in itself doesn't make you a better person. It makes you worse. How does this work? I was having a conversation with the fella in our church. Good friend. And we're having uh, lunch over some dim sum. And uh, he was recounting a little interaction he had with his wife. Here's how the interaction went. He came home from a long day and he wanted a beer. So he had a can of beer. Well, he was still thirsty. So he reached for a second can of beer. And which his wife looked at him and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he said, I'm thirsty. I just want to drink. She's like, uh, don't you think that's maybe one too many? To which, what do you think my friend did? He didn't go, oh, you're right, honey. One is enough. My thirst is quenched. I think I'm done. You know what he did? He went, Psh. <laughs> That's what he did. That's what he did to tell the men in the church are like, you darn right. That's what I would do. That's what he did. And I asked him. I said, you're such a big jerk. Why'd you do that? But we know the answer to why he did that. It's because what? We hate being told what to do. <laughs> Every single one of us in here has the inner jerk in us. Some of it's a little more latent, but we hate it when people come and go, here's what I want you to do. This is why, listen very carefully. When God's law comes to a sinful heart, it doesn't go, oh, okay, I think I'll obey. Our hearts go, nobody tells me what to do. Why are we like that? Besides the fact that we're inner jerks. You know why we're like that? You and I come out of the womb wanting to be our own Lord and our own masters. You and I come out of the womb, go, I need to control myself, my surroundings, people, and God. Matter of fact, half of y'all that are just worried and freaking out, if you didn't feel like you need to control everything, you'd be all right. But you feel this enormous need. I got to control. I got to control. Where does that come from? I know what I'm doing. Leave me the heck alone. Check this out, then. We're going today. Do you know what we hate more than being told what to do? And this is why we struggle with grace. We hate being told that there's something we cannot do and that it's totally a gift. And we can't earn it, but we got to humbly receive it. Grace comes and says, you can't do anything. What are you talking about? You, you can't do anything. you got to humble yourself, admit that you're lost, morally bankrupt, and receive it. I don't need it then. That's why there's some of y'all that are not a Christian. You come in and checking it out. But until you come to realize you can't do anything. It's a gift. Grace will always offend and never be good news. Let's keep going. Verse 6. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. 
Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. All right, Bible study here. First purpose of the law, put it up there. Paul says it's what? It's to reveal what sin is. Reveal what sin is. Paul says in verse 7, I would not have known what coveting was. If not, God, the law said covet. In that way, God gave the commands. God gave the laws, you guys, listen carefully, as like a mirror to reflect back to us how we fall short of God's character, of God's ways, and of God's righteousness. So the law was given to us to reveal, reveal the fact that there's sin in us, reveal the fact that we are, reveal the fact that there's disobedience. So the law is given to us to be aware, make us aware of sin. In that way, let me just say something real carefully right here, okay? The law is good. I know for some of us, when we talk about the gospel and the law, some of us came from environments where there was law, 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 law. So we basically go, oh, law is terrible. No, no, law reflects God's character, reflects God's ways, reflects God's intended life for us. Law is good. However, the law reveals what sin is, but the law does not have the power to remove that sin. I know, you may not really get what I'm saying right now, but I'll get to that. See, some of us grew up in churches where we would have been like, oh, we know we're not saved by obeying the commands, but we actually think that we grow by obeying the commands. The law reveals what a sanctified life looks like, but the law does not have the power to sanctify you. Do you hear me? See, listen, let me just give you a couple examples. Some of us grew up in churches where people actually believed that the law had the power to re- remove sin and sanctify us. That's why every Sunday you got lay down thick. Do, 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 and don't, 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 period. Good luck. And the problem is, you're laughing because it's true, yes? And the problem is, it's not, it's not that we don't know what to do. The problem is we don't want what to do it. Don't look at me like you know what I'm talking about. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So what do we do? We go to these churches, law, law, law. Behind the mindset is law has the power to change you. So I'm just going to tell you what to do. It'll change your heart. And we what? We know what to do. We can't do it. We go to church. We're reminded you can't do it. And we feel like nudists at a porcupine convention. (laughs) Constantly, every week, it's a reminder of you're a failure, you're a failure, you're a failure, you're a failure, you're a failure. And who wants to hear that every Sunday? I don't, you know. That's why some of you are like, see ya, peace out, I'm out of here. <laughs> Can I just ask, how many of you guys, this is your story? Can you raise your hands? Yeah, see? Good Lord. Listen, let me give another example. Parents, parents, if you don't get this, you will ruin your children. Oh, that's a little harsh. You will, <laughs> you, will, you will exacerbate your children. Do you know why? Because we parents think, what? Parker, there's the clean your room rule. There's the share with your brothers and sister rule. There's the wash your hands before dinner rule. There's the respect your mom and dad. And we actually think, lay down the law, and they will 
want to obey it. Just because I lay down the share with your brother and sister law, is that going to make Parker a generous person? No. You guys, do you see why some of you guys are like, Peter, man, what you're saying is so foreign to me because you know what? All my life, Christianity was about lay down the law and I do it and I become a better Christian. Can I tell you something? And this is where we're going two, three weeks from now. You know what spiritual growth is? Spiritual growth is when you actually want to do what you should do. Not, I hate doing it, but it's better than going to hell. So I'll do it. The laughter is conviction. I know. I know. Some of us are like, ha, ha, ha. It's me. <laughs> Verse 8. Verse 8. Isn't Romans a fun book? It's a brilliant book. Verse 8. Here we go. But sin. See, oh, it gets really good. Seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me, though, every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life. And I die. Now, if you don't really know what's going on here, here's how we read it. It seems like what Paul is saying, leave that up there, Nate. It seems like what Paul is saying is this. <laughs> Paul's sitting there going, you know, I'm doing quite well. I'm doing quite well. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> somebody sat me down and taught me the commandments of God. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm lost. That's not possible. Why? Because when Paul was like this, he would have known the commandments as a devout Jew. He would have known the commandments. As soon as he could say, Mama, Dada, commandments. As a good devout Jew. That's not what Paul is saying. So what is Paul saying when he says that when the commandments came? What Paul is saying is, I came to a place when I began to realize what the commandments were really about. And then I died. Meaning, I came to realize that I was an absolute, abject, moral failure and spiritually bankrupt. Now, think about who's saying this. Who's saying this? We're talking about Paul. This is a guy that wrote letters and said, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. When it comes to legalistic righteousness, what? Faultless. I did it better than anybody. And he's saying, but when the commandments came, when I realized what they were really about, he says, I died. What was the commandment that did that to him? Do not covet. Listen. All Paul's life, he looked at the commandments like the way you and I do. Externally. Have no other gods. All right, I don't go bow down to that wooden statue. I'm good. Honor your parents. I call mom and dad every week. Hi, mom. Hi, dad. Check. Honor my parents. I don't commit adultery. I'm not sleeping with anybody. Do not murder. Well, I kill some people, but you know, they were Christians and they had it coming. So God will understand. Paul looks at the commandments all of his life and he says, external behavior. The problem with 10th commandment, do not covet, is that you what? Can't define it externally. It's about your heart. 
intentions, motivation. And Paul says, I thought I was doing good when that came. When I realized what the commandment's really after. I'm just as lost, that guy over there. Who don't even know the law? Give me two, three minutes on a side thing. Do you know what coveting is? You know what the opposite of coveting is? It's contentment. Do you know what coveting is? Coveting is not just wanting something. Coveting is not just desiring something. Coveting is an inordinate desiring. It's an inordinate wanting something. Coveting is saying, God, God's all right. But what I really need for me to be content in my life is that job. It's that relationship. It's that marriage. It's that degree. It's that success. It's her. It's him. It's that. Coveting. God is not enough. I need that to be truly happy. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Externally, picture of perfect Christianity. Internally, where are you today? I don't sleep around. I don't, da, da, da. What are you inordinately wanting and desiring that has got you so angry, so bitter, so worried, so despondent? What is it that you're saying, I have to have it. I, mu- oh, I obey one through nine. Thank you. For- what is it that you're saying, I must, I have to? Coveting. Coveting. The reason why we do anything wrong is you are sitting there. Look, coveting is not just envy. We think envy, self-pity, grumbling, murmuring. But at core, coveting is not simply just I need to have that. God gave us wants. It's okay to have wants. It's okay to desire things. But when you go, that approval, that job, that success, that child, that family, that relationship, I must, I have to have coveting. And your heart your intentions, and your motives. This commandment comes to Paul, and Paul says, I died. Listen very carefully, because this is the whole thing for today, okay? Why did Paul say I died? Because first time in his life, Paul was confronted with this reason. And I need to ask you today. I'm going to speak to two very different people today and the next week. Two very different people today. The, Paul, the, Paul, the question that Paul asks, why are you obeying? What is your motivation for obeying? For the first time, Paul saw in the commandments that God 
isn't just, and I'll talk about this moment, God isn't just interested in any kind of obedience. I'm obeying, I'm obeying. But God throughout scriptures says over again that he is longing for, he is after a certain kind of obedience and that obedience is what motivates your obedience. The why you do what you do ultimately determines whether it's a sacrifice of praise or you're worshiping another God. Why are you doing it? I love this quote by T.S. Eliot. Listen to what he said. The last temptation is the greatest treason to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Listen. Do you know why Paul says that commandment slew me? I'm going to say this as plainly as possible. Paul says, I am just as lost as that guy who doesn't even know the Ten Commandments. I am just lost as a Gentile who has no desire to obey Ten Commandments. Paul says, I am lost. I am struck. I am convicted. I am floored. I am spiritually bankrupt. And listen to this. Paul says, I am lost not despite my goodness, but because of my goodness. It's not his badness that has him far from God. It's what? It's his goodness it's his goodness yes i am talking to you today moral perfect picture of morality i grew up in church didn't stray i'm gonna talk to the other other group next week you i'm talking to you today who says what i've not strayed i've obeyed commandments i thought you know here and there but everybody does here and there but for the most part i kept the straight and narrow and the question is why are you obeying what is your motivation for obeying and what does paul say he says my morality my goodness my righteous law keeping was my way to say to god i'm obeying you i'm doing everything you want me to i deserve your mercy i deserve your forgiveness and i deserve certain kind of life And he says, my morality, my goodness, it's nothing but coveting. It's a way to keep God from controlling my life to say, I'm in control. Do you know why this is striking me hard? Not because of the fact that this is my testimony, by the way. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen, not in this church, not just in this church, but in the historical church. Have you ever seen that somebody goes to church, does everything good, and then all of a sudden what? Something happens and they just snap. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Him? Her? What happened? Bible study leader? Attend church? They serve at the warming center? They do all these things? And for the most part, on the outside, man, they look like the perfect picture of morality, Christianity. And all of a sudden, snap, and they're gone. Why? This is your testimony. Everybody told you to obey, but they never told you the why. So with white-knuckle morality, you go, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then something happens. Cancer. Death, lose your job. You break up with that person, then you're going to get back to somebody else again. You get dumped. And what happens? You say, God, you owe me. I don't deserve this. I'm good. I obey my morality. How dare you? I'm done. Do you know how often that happens in church? That's some of you today. Externally. <laughs> Yeah, internally, you're angry, you're bitter, you're despondent. Frankly, you're bored. 
There's two ways to be lost. One is to go, the lost, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever I want to. The other is you and it's me. It's the self-righteous Pharisee way, which is what? I am doing these things, God. I demand. I deserve. How dare you? And when things don't go your way, I'm out of here. It's not your badness that's keeping you from God. It's your goodness. (laughs) It's your morality. For Paul, his attempt to earn righteousness through his morality, his goodness, led to self-righteousness and violence. Do you remember? You see a full picture of Paul in Acts. He is holding the cloak and giving approval to men who are stoning the first martyr in the book of Acts, Stephen. That's what happened to Paul. That's what we're not going to, we're not going to do that. You and I aren't like that. We're not going to, you know, stone somebody. But here's some questions I want to ask you on whether your goodness, not your badness, your goodness is keeping you from God. Question number one, are you angry at how life is going? Are you constantly comparing yourself to other people and feeling like you got the raw end of the deal? How many people can honestly say this morning, yeah, that's me? Thank you. Thank you. Do you know why we think that? Because if your whole motivation is, I'm good, I'm earning my right, I'm earning my righteousness, you basically go, God, there's a limit to what you could ask me to do. A limit. Thank you very much. That, okay. But beyond that, no. Why? I'm good. Will you stop comparing yourself to other people? This is crazy to me. Stop comparing yourself to other people going, oh, if my life was like. You have no idea what their life is like. How would you even know? It's not your circumstances. what you're telling about your circumstances. Listen, nobody's life goes that well, okay? Nobody's life goes that well. Are you angry at life? And you say, God, I don't deserve. Why are you doing that? Because what? I've been good. Second question. Hmm. Do you hate the law of God you're obeying? Is it a moral grind? Singles, can I just ask you a blunt question? For those of you that are committed to sexual purity before marriage, is it a joy delight or is it a grind? <laughs> See, this is how honest our church is. It's a, it's a grind, pastor. I know. It was me. When I was in college, I'm like, I'm committed to sexual purity. I'm committed. By the way, so what if we're committed to sexual purity if in here we're doing it a thousand times a day? Oh, that's me. That's me, right? Okay. I'm going to keep myself sexually pure. Why? I love Jesus. And I'm committed to being a Christian. How's that going? I hate it. Again, I'm not just, I'm the same, listen, same way, same way. By the way, for those people who go, you know, doesn't lust problem go away when you get married? Are you kidding me? Lust problem goes away when you get married? It gets worse. Married people, is this true? Listen, listen, listen. Where do we get this idea? I, listen, in the church, there's this idea. In the church, there's this idea that says, you know what? God, God cares about your obedience. He doesn't care if you don't want to do it. He just wants you to do it. Where do you see that in the Bible? Where is it in the Bible? 
They all that God cares about is obedience. Because as long as you do it, even if you're miserable, don't want to do it. Because if that was the case, if all God cared about was any kind of obedience, he would have looked at the Pharisees and said, perfect model, follow them. But he looked at the Pharisees and said what? Whitewashed tombs, dead inside. God cares about why you obey. Uh, about six months, or maybe a year ago, I had to go change my oil. I have a little Toyota Highlander. It smells like family. If you come inside, people go, what's your car smell like? It smells like family. I tell them that. It smells like family. I took that car, get oil change, and I hate waiting. I am the most impatient human being on the face of the earth. Can somebody beat me? Some of you guys are like, no, 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 Peter. I am more impatient than you are. No, trust me. I am the most impatient human being on the face of the earth. I show up like at crack of dawn, like at 7 o'clock as soon as it opens, right? I'm like the third person there. I get in. I do the check-in. How are you, sir? Blah, blah, blah. Da. Get my computer, headphones on. I go into the little waiting room, you know, where they got TVs, and I'm sitting there working. I know usually about 45 minutes to an hour is how long it takes. You know, so I'm sitting there looking at my watch. and a long day ahead of 8. 8.15, nothing. So I go to the front desk and be like, uh, my name's Peter. I've been here since 7 o'clock. Uh, just wondering, oil change. Oh, so, so we're looking at it. We're looking at it. It'll be right up, right up. Thank you. <laughs> Waiting room. Uh, da, 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 da. 8.45, 9 o'clock. Go outside. Uh, Toyota Highlander. You know, four doors. High- <laughs> the guy's like, we know you're at a Toyota dealership. We know what a Highlander looks like. Just, just want to make, you know, I, I'm just waiting. Two hours oil change. Can you please? Yeah, yeah, yeah it should be about 9.30, 9.40. Finally. <laughs> Smoke coming out of my Korean head. <laughs> Walk up to the desk. Listen, man. Word for word. Listen, man. Not ma'am. Listen, man, I've been here since 7 o'clock. Where's my car? What, what car was that again? Oh, he didn't tell me. He just didn't say. He just didn't, he just didn't say. He, just didn't, he didn't say what car. He just did not say what car. Toyota Highlander. 7 o'clock, I dropped it off. Checks his computer. He says, oh. My guy was supposed to work on it, and somebody misplaced it, and so we're, we're actually looking for your car right now. <laughs> I swear really good inside my head. I have swear words inside my head. Some of you have never even heard of, okay? It's like a combination of Korean and English like put together, you know? <laughs> I'm swearing in my And in that moment, I said, go get my car because I'm going to go home. Question. Externally? You can go, wow, Peter, you exercise self-control. <laughs> you were really patient, really loving. I'll be totally honest with you guys. You guys already know this. Do you know why I didn't go off on the guy and go on a rampage? Self-protection, selfishness. 
you think I really cared about that guy who probably, and I told my wife when I came home and I'm more sane, probably showed up at 5, 5.30 in the morning. Who knows what's going on in his life? The only reason why I was self-controlled loving was because, one, I didn't want to get in trouble for him to call security. <laughs> Number two, I didn't want them to damage my car like secretly so that I would have to come back. And number three, and this is the worst of all, I was afraid that there might be people who come to our church or no people who come to our church and how I might appear as a good pastor. So to save my face and reputation, I held my anger in check. Do you think, let me ask you, that that obedience is honoring to God? Why do you obey? Why do you obey? Third question. We're going on. Third question. Is there in your heart a combination of lack of joy and a spirit of judgmentalism coupled with self-righteousness towards others? What do I mean? I say this all the time. If you're a gospel-believing Christian, you have deep security about yourself and you're very unsure about other people. Why? The gospel, listen, here's how I know if you're a Christian. I come to you and go, hey, are you a Christian? And our answer should be righteousness of Christ. Our answer to, are you a Christian is, Can you believe it? Me. I'm a Christian. Child of God. Saved, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Amazing, isn't it? But if you're a religious person, somebody goes, are you a Christian? You go, I'm trying. I'm really trying. If you're a gospeling Christian, there's deep security about yourself because you know exactly where you stand. But here's the thing. About a religious person, you're very unsure about yourself, but guess what? You're very sure about other people. Why? Because Christianity is about what you do, what you don't do. And you say something like, well, he's not a Christian. Why? Because Christians don't do that. Really? Or maybe they're just like you, sinners in process. Can I ask you something? Are you very unsure about yourself where you stand with God, but very sure about other people? The gospel comes along and says, you can be totally sure about yourself. What about other people? Who knows? They're not saved by good works, right? No. Maybe they're sinners in process. Maybe they're sinners in process. And we don't categorize people into good people, bad people. We categorize people into we understand the grace of God, but they've yet to understand the grace of God. Listen. Are you judgmental towards others and deeply insecure about yourself? Lastly, check, check real quick. Do you have a hard time forgiving people? This is huge for me. Do you know why? Do you know why religious people who don't understand the gospel, who don't understand that they're not saved by being good works in their morality, the reason why they have a hard time forgiving people is not. When somebody wrongs you, if your attitude is one of, I can't forgive you. Why? Because inside you're going, I would never do that. Well, why would you never do that? And the answer is not because God's grace has kept me from doing that. The answer is because I'm just better than you. Are you? If you have a hard time forgiving people, you have no idea that the reason why you haven't done the same thing gone off is because of the grace of God that has kept you and not because you're just better. Anybody have a hard time forgiving people? It's your goodness that's keeping you away from God, not your badness. It's your self-righteousness that's screwing up in your life, church. It's not your badness. It's your goodness that's making you angry and bitter and hate obedience. It's your goodness and the rule-keeping that you're looking to God and saying, I'm doing these things. Look at all that I'm doing. 
That's the heart of your problems and my problems. Let's, let's finish this. Verse 10. And this is, this is the kicker of them all. Please give me your attention for the next few minutes because this right here, the entire Bible hinges on this. You ready? Verse 10. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. Verse 12. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and it's righteous and good. Verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. What's Paul saying there? He's saying this. He's saying, most of my life, until Christ came in, he says, I thought I was pulling it off. I thought I was pulling it off doing fine. Why? I looked at law totally in terms of externally, and I went down the checklist and said, I'm better than him, better than him doing all those things. But he said, when God's perfect law, God's perfect law shined deep into my heart, I realized this game's over. Jesus comes along and says, for those of you all think externally you're good, he says, he says to you, he goes, how you doing? I haven't murdered anyone. Jesus says, have you ever been angry? Then he says what? You're guilty of murder. I haven't slept with anybody's wife. <laughs> really? Good. You're keeping the do not commit adultery. Have you lusted? Then you've committed what? Adultery. Jesus comes and he blows the entire category out and says, it's not just about external obedience, but he says it's about why you do what you do. And Paul says, when that light, why do I do what I do, came shining into my heart, he says, I'm dead. I'm lost. So then why did God give us the law? God gave us the law. Everybody look up here. God gave us the law because if you don't cheapen the law by saying, I can do these things because I make them doable. God says, if you let the perfect law of God shine deep in your heart and you look at the law and go, I can't do it. I know my heart. God says, the law was given so that you would come to the place of saying, I can't do it. I'm lost. I'm lost. And God says, second reason why he gave you the law is because the law pointed the law pointed to say with me to someone else. What do I mean? God says, by the way, this is why legalistic churches, it's not that they think highly of the law. They think low of the law. Why? Because they make the law doable. Don't smoke. Don't drink. Da, 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 da. We go, I'm doing all those things. I'm good. But God says, when you cheapen the law, of course you make it doable. But he says, let the perfect law of God shine in your heart, your heart, your heart, your heart. And God says, when that happens, the only appropriate response for you and I is, I'm done. I can't. And God says, precisely. So you know why I gave you the law? Because to show you that you need someone else, you need a Savior. And do you know what Jesus did? Oh, Matthew 5. Today the Bible will make sense for the first time of your life. Jesus said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? 
fulfill them. Do you know what that means? That means that Jesus came. And he obeyed every single dot of the law. Every single one of it. In his heart, externally. He loved God. Perfectly loved his He did everything perfectly. Fulfilled it. And at the moment of conversion, do you know what happens when you and I become Christians? His fulfillment of the law. His perfect obedience. His perfect righteousness. God says, I take that and... Boom, I give it to who? To you and to me. So that when God feeds us, he says, from Genesis to Revelation, you did it perfectly, all of it. (laughs) Is this good news to anybody? Do you understand why? God loves you. God accepts you. You're like, God loves you. The reason why is when he sees you, he doesn't just accept you apart from the law. He accepts you because of Christ who did it on your behalf and fulfilled the law. Do you understand what that means to be a Christian? Oh, my goodness. Is this incredible news or What? Listen, can I talk to a non-Christian? Shins, non-Christians. First of all, you're going, I don't even, listen, man, I don't, the Bible standards, commandments, I don't even believe there's a God. Okay, but you have some sort of standard, though. What do, what do, I, what do you mean? You have your own standard of righteousness, don't you? We all do. We all do. You walk on every day going, he should, she should. They ought to. If only he could. They want. Every day we're doing that. What are you doing? Your own standard of righteousness saying, this is the way people ought to behave. This is the way we ought to be. Question, how well do you live up to your own standards? Can I ask you a question? At the end of the day, most of humanity is going to depend on standing before God. I was a good guy. I was a good guy? You're going to bet your eternity on I was a good guy compared to what? The dude upstairs? Really? The dude upstairs, you're going to look at him and go, I'm better than him. Oh, I'm better than my roommate. Your roommate? That's your standard. (laughs) (laughs) One day you and I are going to all stand. Listen, stand before God. And you really want to stake your entire eternity on, I was pretty good. Or, I have the perfect righteousness of Jesus. I hope, Carlton, you come on up. We're finishing up. If you're a Christian, listen, the reason why I need to talk, if you're a Christian, you go, oh, amen, non-Christians, they need to hear that, man, they need Jesus. You and I need Jesus too. Do you know why most of us are just lame? Um, excuse me, but I, I mean, you know, lame spiritually. Because you know what we do? We, go, we do this. We go, well, I'm a lot better now than I was back then. So I needed Jesus a lot back then, but I don't need Jesus a lot now. What? <laughs> what? Do you know what I'm talking about? Many of us, you know why we're spiritually spiritually stagnant? The 
reason why we're spiritually stagnant, man, is because you and I are looking at the perfect, holy righteousness of God and saying, that's what I'm to be after? And we're looking at, I'm better than him, better than him. I'm better than where I was two years ago. Let the perfect law of God shine in your heart because just as much as you needed Jesus back then, you need Jesus more now. Why? Because you're more self-righteous than you were back then. Today is the toughest Sunday and challenge for some of us. Do you know why? Because my challenge to most of us this morning is not, here's the, God, here's the, here's the application. Don't repent of your badness. Repent of your goodness. What do I mean? Can you be honest? Put up the corporate. Can you be honest that in every single thing we do, that there is something in them to be pardoned? Even the best things we do. The question I'm asking you today, and you may not hear this in any other church, so if you're tired of hearing this, you can go to a... Well, don't go to other churches. Come here and just listen to this, okay? Listen, listen. I know it's uncomfortable, but listen, listen. Listen to me. Can you be honest this morning and go, Peter, if I'm totally honest... The reasons why I do anything good has nothing to do with the desire to purely glorify God and to live my life. It's God. Why activism? Why are you, why helping the poor? Because you're ignited by the love that God has for us in our spiritual poverty and without any judgment of paternalism, we're saying, how can I not put my life poor? I want to be accepted. I want to feel good about myself. Uh, I want to make sure. Why do you help people is it codependency why do you help people is it so that you can love yourself through them can you be honest about that this morning and say that's why why do you serve in ministry because I need me a husband I need me a wife what why do you serve in ministry why do you follow God because I want this life and if I follow God he'll give me this life why what are you doing anything can you repent of that can you honestly come to God this morning and say God there's so much anger bitterness self-righteousness pride arrogance boredom in my heart because you know what people look at me and go oh my gosh perfect model of Christianity but God inside you know that my soul my heart is dark it's toxic the only way you find healing is if you can be totally honest and go God it's me it's me secondly can you repent of goodness go to the gospel what do I mean Here's the big difference between somebody who's very religious and very, has someone who understands the gospel. Someone who's very religious goes to God because God is very useful for the things that I want. But if you're a gospel believing Christian, you go to God because God is not useful, because God is what? Beautiful. And you go to God knowing you're fully accepted, fully loved, fully righteous, not because of anything you've done, because of everything He's done. And you go, God, I love you, not because of anything you give to answer just because of go to the cross and ask why did Jesus do this what what did Jesus get out of this what did Jesus get out of this you know what he got out nothing do you know what that means he didn't do that because we were useful he did that because we were what and if you don't realize that your entire life 
I'm going to bring you something, Earn. God's going, I've done it. Oh. Christians, you bring nothing as nothing. That's the only way that you receive the everything that Christ has done. So this morning, I'm going to ask some of you and me to be bold, courageous, maybe humble. Would you be willing to admit today and say, it's my, it's my goodness that's keeping me away from God. Will you stand up? I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. God, this journey has been hard. Because it's forcing us to look deep within and ask honest And my prayer, God, for my church family is that as we move forward and get up tomorrow for work, we would decide and determine whether we are counted righteous, holy, perfect in you. And as a result, live out of that identity. Just he did it.